Okay, so we're going to be um, thinking about Genesis chapter 19 this morning, um, and we're actually going to go back into Genesis 18 um, and read just a little bit there as a way of introduction. So um, uh, there's a story in Genesis 18 about some men visiting Abraham, and it turns out they weren't just any men. They were, um, they were angels, and one of them was probably a, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. So, um, so Abraham um, um, had his wife cook them a big meal, and they told him that he was she was going to have a child soon, and she laughed, and then um, and then they decided that they were going to go on their way, and so we're going to start at verse sixteen in Genesis 18, and we'll read to verse 33. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So there are three people here. Two of the angels went, um, were angels, and they went on to Sodom. And one of them was Jesus, and he stays here and talks to Abraham. And Abraham came near and said, Would you de also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, if there were four, forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again, suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So you have here Abraham talking to God. And it begins um, with God making some statements about Abraham. Abraham is going to have descendants who become a great nation. Um, Abraham serves God and is planning to teach his children um, about God. And as a result of this, 
Abraham is going to get a revelation about the future of a nearby community. So the author of Genesis is not concerned with surprising us with the future of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, this is telling us what's going to happen in chapter 19. So God is saying, I'm going down to see if the reports that I have of this place are really true. Is it as bad as it says? And, um, and it turns out it is. So we find here Abraham's interceding for the cities of the plain. Um, so he, um, he bids down the number and finally gets down to where if there's only 10 righteous people, God will spare the, the city. Um, and I guess the question is, you know, whether Abraham changed God's mind. And I don't think he did in the way that we would think of. Um, God knew exactly how many righteous people were in Sodom even before he sent angels down there. And so it wasn't something where he sent people down to see um, how it was. And yet he is letting Abraham intercede for somebody that he cares about. Um, <clears throat> and there's a special blessing in the way in which Abraham interceded for these people. He didn't know. Um, he began with a simple question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And of course, the answer is Abraham knew, and as we know today, is yes, the judge of all the earth should do right. And more than that, we see his humility, don't we? He says, I who am but dust and ashes, I am nothing. I don't deserve to be asking this of you. <clears throat> and so, um, and so when, we, when we read this, we understand that Abraham is not doing this out of a, a position of strength. Even though God has said, you are a special person, Abraham, Abraham does not feel like he's a special person. He doesn't deserve to ask these things of God. Um, and so, I guess just as a brief application at the end of this, how, how willing are we to intercede for the people that we see around us? How, how much of an effort are we willing to make for people who are on the wrong road? Uh, we don't know what Abraham interaction with Lot was before this story, um, but if we see people who are on the wrong path, we have an obligation to reach out to them. So, that's an introduction. Let's um, go to Genesis 19, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. And, uh, there's some pretty bad stories in Genesis. This is a really bad story, and um, that, there's just no two ways about it. But I would like to us to focus this morning not on Sodom but on Lot. Okay, I, I think so often we focus on how evil the people around us are and how the world is a terrible place and culture has just gone terrible places and we don't realize how important it is to be Daniel in the midst of a culture that doesn't love God. Culture's never been good, okay? People who don't love God sometimes have been a little more moral and sometimes they haven't been so moral but our responsibility is always the same. Let's read these verses, Genesis 19, 1 through 11. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so that they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before them lay down 
before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out through them, to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not be do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This man came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will do worse with, worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to breaking down the door. But the men reached out their hands, this, is, this would be the angels here, and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary with trying to find the door. So they said, this is a pretty horrible story. Um, and there's a couple of things that I think we should notice. Um, first of all, Lot was an important man in the community. So the elders of a city sat in the gate of the city. So they didn't have a town halls the way we have town halls or, um, you know, a place of, of Congress or something like that. Um, in Amos 10, 5 through 13 talks about disputes being settled in the gate of the city when um, Ruth and Boaz had... Um, Boaz was talking to his kinsmen. Um, this was done in the gate of the city. And that says to me that Lot was a city elder. Um, and in fact, later on, the people talk about him that way. There's like, you know, this, this foreigner can't, showed up, and now, he's, now he acts like he's a judge. Now he acts like he's an elder. And so we can trace Lot's movement to Sodom. First he pitched his tents towards Sodom. Next he was living in Sodom and fighting with them and captured with them. Um, and now he's a big deal. He's, he's run for office. He's one of the city elders. And yet at the same time, the people didn't accept him, did they? So they, they say, when they're upset with him, you think you're a judge? We know you're a foreigner. And I, I was thinking about this. You know, Brook Neal is a, is a small town. And when I, when I moved to Brook Neal, um, in my practice, um, I was calling a patient back with a lab result, and um, and um, they said, um, "So, so how do you like it around here?" And I said, um, "Well, it's it's very nice. The people are very nice here." And they said, "It's probably real different from India." And I said, "Oh, India? Um, yeah, I, I'm actually from Indiana, not from India." So easy to confuse the two places, but there's there are differences. We ate less rice there. And, um, and the people said, oh, we thought you talked real good for someone from India, which I, I think was a compliment. I'm not sure. But that's what the people here were saying. You moved in here, and you're still foreign. You're not one of us, even though you act like you're one of us, and even though you got elected to office. And I wonder if we could say this morning that Lot is a godly person who thinks that he is going to make changes in an evil society within the political structures of the community. Um, we hear this a lot, don't we? Um, particularly in the evangelical church. I hear people say, I'm going to vote the Christian candidate, and I'm not even sure what they mean necessarily. 
I, it doesn't, didn't work for a lot, and it doesn't seem to work in our society either. It doesn't change culture. So when he tried to change their behavior, they identified him as something other. And yet Lot knew exactly what kind of people he was dealing with. You know, so when the angels said, we're just going to sleep in the town square, he said, do not sleep in the square, because he knew what kind of people were in town. Um, this was not just hospitality, this was protection. Um, so he did serve them a good meal, but he also wanted to keep them safe. Let's move on to the second part here, Genesis 19, 12 through 27. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've increased your mercy, which you've shown me by saving my life. But I, I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it, it is a little one. Please let me escape there. It, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of this city was called Zoar. The sun had risen from the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew the, those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where, she had stood, where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So we're going to look at a few different things. The angels at the beginning of this passage state their plan. Sodom is judged. It's a little bit like uh, the handwriting on the wall at the Feast of, of Belshazzar, where it said, what, many, many tekel of farsin. You are weighed in the balance. You are found wanting. And this very night, your kingdom will be given to the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Time for repentance is past. Sodom could not repent at this point. 
And they told Lot that if anyone that he cared about was willing to go with him, that they also could be saved. And we find out at the end of this passage that Lot was being saved because of his uncle, because of Abraham. So it was not because Lot was so righteous and so wonderful, but because Abraham had interceded on his behalf. And God said, you know, even though you are not worth a whole lot, because someone who loves me and is faithful to me cares about you, I will rescue you even from the fire. And so Lot went to his future sons-in-law, but even though he was desperately earnest, they thought he was joking, which is so strange, isn't it? He's, he's desperate. He's getting on his knees and saying, look, come with me, and they just think he's joking. You can't believe that sort of thing. You've got to be joking. This city's been here for a long time. We're wealthy. And yet, judgment was coming. And so often we hear about things where, where sinners do think that Christians are just crazy because of the things that they believe. And I've heard people say things like, um, I don't believe God would send people to hell simply because they don't believe in him. And the answer is yes, he will. But he's also given a place for mercy, hasn't he? And here we see Lot divided. Lot dallied around. You know, if somebody told you that your house was going to be struck by lightning at uh, 5 p.m. this evening, you would be, uh, well, I don't know if you would believe them either, but if you believe them, you would be getting everything out of your house. You would rescue everything that you thought had value because you, um, you wanted to rescue it. And here Lot is pressing around and dallying around, and the angels say, you've got to get out of here. We cannot destroy this city before you leave, but we are destroying it. The rabbi Jonathan Sachs says that he, he brings up the concept of the, the shalshalet, which is a quivering note. Um, it, it does not stay on one, on one pitch, but it goes up or down. And he says this, this concept is the closest ambivalence that we get in the Torah. Um, Elijah asked the people, how long will you waver between God and Baal? And here we see Lot hesitating. It wasn't just the monetary loss, although that was real. He fit into Sodom. It was home for him, and he did not want to leave it. And so finally he says, look, there's a little city down there. And I just go there. And you see how much he wants them to agree with it. He, he says twice, isn't it a little city? And the angels did give him permission. They said, just get out of here and don't look back. And the point I don't think was that they were not to, to look back physically, although, you know, maybe that was part of it. But it, the idea was do not wish that you were back in here. Um, there's a song, I don't know this song, but it's, I left my heart in San Francisco. And I think in a sense, Lot and his wife had left a part of their heart in Sodom. As evil as it was, it was home. And they didn't want to move on. And so we need to remember Lot's wife. When we put our hand to the plow, when we 
pursue the things of God, we cannot look back and think about how wonderful Egypt was, how wonderful Sodom was. And so this story ends with Abraham looking out on the plain and seeing disaster. He didn't know what had happened to Lot. Um, and so Lot was saved because of Abraham, but Lot did not flee to Abraham. That's where he should have gone, right? He should have said, you know, I have to get back to square one. I need to get back to Bethel. I need to get back to the place where someone who loves God and cares for me is willing to put me on the road again. But so often people, when they've left a place of, of refuge, of security, and gone down a bad path, they cannot go back to that refuge because they've, they've burned too many bridges. They don't want to admit in humility that they were wrong. And yet the story of the prodigal son has a happy ending because the prodigal son said, are there not servants in my father's house who have way more than what I have right now? I don't care if I'm the lowest person in the house. I want to be in my father's house again and just to see his face and to know that he loves me. And that has a happy ending because unlike Lot, he went where he should have gone. In the world, but not of it. Uh, we've got some verses up here, John 17, 11 through 15. I'm going to read. This is from Jesus' high priestly prayer. So this is something that Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. And he was asking something for his disciples, but he was asking something for us as well. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. This is Jesus' final prayer for his disciples before his death. And he was praying for us too. The question then and for us today is what does it mean to be in the world and not of it? Lot spent years in Sodom and we can see that he became a part of their society, at least after a fashion. And yet he did little to change them, while he and his family were changed quite a bit. And I think our, our tendency is to say, you know, God is just calling us to be separate. We should, you know, almost like, you know, what the Hutterites do, you just make our own commune and, and prevent other people from getting into it. And I don't think that's what we're called to do, but I do think... We are called to be lights. We are not called to move. The lighthouse sits on the shore and, and marks a place. It does not constantly shift around. So what are the things that we can do to make certain that we are in the world but not of it? Well, first of all, protect your heart. Uh, Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lot's treasure was in Sodom. 
And when Sodom was destroyed, he lost everything. His wife and his children were secondary to his stuff. That's why he moved into Sodom in the first place, and that's why he lost so much. And that's why he wanted to go to this little city called Zoar. If you came home from church today and your house was burned to the ground, what would you have lost? And what would you have kept? And I trust the most important things in our life are things that you can't hold in your hand, not in the sense that people talk about, you know, as, as technology or whatever. Our hearts follow our treasure. We're going to think a little bit about Daniel and Babylon. So, so Daniel is somebody who, who continued to love God, even though he was in a terrible situation. And, and culturally, Babylon was, was not great. So who was Daniel? Well, he was young. We don't know his exact age, um, but we can guess he was um, in his teens somewhere. Um, he was removed from his home, and he had obviously been taught something about the law and had internalized it. He reminds us a lot of Joseph, doesn't he? Um, so Joseph was another person who, um, who followed God even when he was in a, in a pretty uh, not-so-great culture. So there's six things that, that I, as I was thinking about Daniel, that I think helped him maintain his integrity and his relationship with God in a foreign land. So first of all, he sought out people who were similar similarly committed to God. Um, these were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I believe, were their Hebrew names. And we don't know how they met, but they seem to have spent time together, and the stories of them are interweaved as they spent time in the king's palace in Babylon. First time we met them was in chapter 1 of Daniel, um, over the issue of the king's meat, but later on, um, they're, in, um, they're, they're being pressured to, to worship a, um, an idol, and, um, and they didn't. And so Daniel, you know, there were other people who were captured when Nebuchadnezzar um, took, um, took Judah and took Jerusalem, um, but they, they were not people that Daniel spent lots of time with. At least they're not mentioned in the book. We need each other. I'm, never saying, I'm not saying that God would never call you to a place where you'll be separated from other Christian people, but as much as possible, we need people who are going to encourage and pray for us and keep us accountable. The second thing is that Daniel served God in the small things. So um, Daniel 1 verse 8, the, the, the first thing. This is nothing miraculous in a sense, but... It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he would not defile himself. And you can be certain that Daniel was able to stand later on because he chose to stand on this very small thing. Um, and so often we think the little things aren't that important. Those little things are where we build strength. If you go to the gym and you try to lift, uh, you know, 300 pounds, you are going to struggle unless you're somebody, I mean, maybe some of you all can lift 300 pounds. I, I would struggle. I'll just say that, okay? You have to start smaller. Serve God in the small things. 
third thing, he set guardrails that he wouldn't cross. And I think of this as with Joseph too, but the idea with guardrails is you set them in a place that is distant from where you don't want to be. So um, in this place, Daniel chose to eat vegetables because he was certain that these would be kosher. These would be in accordance with the Jewish laws um, rather than trying to figure out which of the things were served to him would have been um, offered to idols or, or have some other issue with them. I think of this for young people, but it applies to older people too. Um, you know, maybe, maybe internet usage is something that we need to set some guardrails on. We say, you know, we're going to be careful of how we use this because it can be a very dangerous kind of place for us. Um, and so you set a place, so you say, I am going to use the internet in this public place and only in this situation because I know this is a dangerous place for me to go. Next thing is Daniel was willing to stand out. Um, so he was stood out because of his willingness to follow the law of Moses, um, but also because he was honest and honorable. So in Daniel 3.12, it's interesting what the people said about Daniel's friends. They said, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So there were lots of other Jews probably in this situation, um, but all of them just went ahead and went with the flow, um, and these three men were willing to stand out. They were standing when everybody else was kneeling. Um, Daniel remained humble. Daniel 2, 27 and 28, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions upon, of your head upon your bed were these. So Daniel is very specific in saying, I am not special. I can, I can tell you what this dream was and meant because I serve God. But it's God who, who is the one who... Um, um, who gives it to us. So, um, I don't know, for some reason my, my mind was thinking about where we get chicken from for um, our fundraiser, and um, it's from some place called Pilgrim's Pride, which um, I'm guessing there's probably not many pilgrims working at the factory there. Um, and um, even if there were, there, hopefully the pilgrims weren't proud, right? They, this doesn't seem like something that pilgrims were supposed to be. They were supposed to be humble. Um, God has given each one of us talents. We are not all the same, but it is the one who, who gave us the talents who deserves the glory. Daniel maintained godly habits. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so this is from Daniel 6.10, and talking about King Darius signing something into law that said the only people, people could only pray to, um, to him, as derives the king. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. And I would focus here on the, that last phrase, as was his custom since early days. Daniel, since the time that he arrived in Babylon, 70 years before, had prayed to God regularly. 
And I, I'm afraid that we, we have a little performative aspect to our devotional life. You know, um, that's one thing, you know, and when you ask somebody how they're doing, so often they'll say, you know, I could, I could read my Bible a little more. I could pray a little better. And it's almost as though, you know, we're, we're trying to impress other people or maybe impress God. We're not really doing it for ourselves. And yet, Daniel was as strong as he was because he made the effort to focus on God, even in a foreign land with a culture that was not God-honoring. And finally, he spoke openly of his God as the one true God. Daniel 3, 16 through 18 um, is talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but Daniel was the same. He said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And we know that this made Nebuchadnezzar really, really mad. You know, kings do not like it when people backtalk them, and that's exactly what he was getting from them. Okay, was, it was that, you know, it, it's funny to me, because what did, what did people start their, um, their, like they would say something to the king, say, oh, king, live forever. Well, they knew he wasn't going to live forever, and honestly, he knew that too, but it's just sort of this concept, you know, it's like, well, you know, I hope your reign goes on till 2086, you know, but that's, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so these are, these are six things that Daniel did in order to maintain a testimony in a foreign place. Um, and I'm afraid a lot of people have gotten the wrong message from Lot and Sodom. They just have taken the idea that we need to build, uh, we need to build forts, we need to build places to protect ourselves from this terrible world out there. Or we just need to, we just need to take over the, the political um, forces around us and, and somehow um, make culture become what it should be. But that's not, that's not what it is. I, I think that moral purity, I think holiness comes because of planning. When you read about the Normandy invasion, it sounds like, well, they just had a whole bunch of people and troops and ships and things, and they just sent them over there. They just chose a spot in June of 1944, and they just attacked. The reality is that they planned for a year. They prepared all the forces. They prepared all the ships. They prepared all the, the logistics and the support things. And by the time of the invasion, they had 350,000 different people, each one of whom knew what they were going to be doing, and how they were going to do it. In the same way, if we want to stand today in a culture that does not love God, we need to plan what we're going to do to maintain our testimony, how we're going to speak for God. Every interaction that we have requires preparation. Ephesians 5, 12, and 13 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. And I pray that each one of us would be able to stand for truth in the middle of a culture that doesn't value us. Most of all, I would pray that we would not be like, but like Daniel, a burning flame in a culture of darkness.